0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
1: And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. My name is Richard Serrett, and this is the Conspiracy Show. Say thanks to Victor Vigiani for sitting in last week. Did a terrific job while I was off. I took the boys fishing and camping. Uh, They're actually here with me tonight, camped out in the boardroom just down the hall from our studio here, and they've got some popcorn and a movie. Uh, So last week, fishing, camping, and uh, Zach uh, (laughs) landed his first largemouth bass on the weekend, and North uh, netted a few crappies. He kept calling them crabbies, but they're crappies, which are a tasty little panfish. Anyway, they were very excited. I hope you're all getting a little camping and fishing in this summer, at least uh, a chance maybe to put your feet up on the front porch or maybe read a good book. Uh, Before we get started... I want to welcome two new affiliates to the Conspiracy Show. KLBM AM in La Grande, Oregon, and KBKR AM in Baker City, Oregon. KLBM and KBKR. They're part of the uh, the same broadcast family. They're they're billed as Super Talk and uh, they serve I believe it's Eastern Oregon. Anyway, it's a pleasure to be part of KLBM and KBKR. I think that's uh, three or four affiliates we now have in Oregon. And I look forward to hearing from all of you listening on uh, in uh, in Oregon. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett or through the website. You can contact me at richardserrett.com. If you haven't already done so, check out the website for the, 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 the television program, The Conspiracy Show, www.theconspiracyshow.com. It's, uh, it's just launched. It's all set for the debut of Season 3 on v- Vision TV across Canada, August 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern. The website is fabulous. And I really, uh, uh, congratulations to everyone at uh, Secret Location, the web design team there, Zoomer, and uh, Jalal, um, my, my partner at Film One, for putting this uh, fabulous website together. It's very interactive. Uh, you can uh, you can debate, discuss, vote as you watch uh, episodes throughout the season, and again that's theconspiracyshow.com. Season three debuts August 11th across Canada, and we'll have an announcement too about uh, a syndication uh, uh, and um, episodes available in the United States. One more thing, and then we'll get to the uh, the meat of the program. Uh, tickets now on sale for Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit. Very excited about this. That's Sunday, November the 16th at the Regent Theatre in Oshawa. It's an all-day conference-style event. I'll be hosting six great speakers. Roswell investigator Don Schmidt, witness to the Rendlesham UFO incident Jim Penniston, crop circle researcher, filmmaker Patty Greer, uh, time travel with theoretical physicist Dr. Ronald Mallett, Ancient Giants in America, with Emmy Award-winning writer Richard Dewhurst. Jim Elvich, who's been with me a number of times on the program, who is the author of The Universe Solved. He's going to make a very compelling case. We're living in a digitally programmed reality. We're living in the Matrix. For more details and ticket information, go to followthetruth.tv. Sunday, November 16th. Regent Theatre, Oshawa, Ontario. Six fabulous speakers all under one roof. Hope to see you there. Follow The Truth TV. Uh, every few weeks, it seems, uh, I'll come across a story of an alleged demonic possession. And uh, the vast majority of these cases seem somewhat fantastical. They're uh, very very difficult to corroborate, very little evidence. Uh, in, in In some instances, no real verifiable, nothing verifiable. However, uh, earlier in the year, there was a case reported that it stays with me because it's so chilling and it seems so authentic and genuine. Uh, It was, I I don't know if you saw this, it was reported back in January of this year, and it involves a woman in Gary, Indiana, a a terrified mother, really. uh, And she claims she watched in horror as her demon-possessed nine-year-old son walked backwards up a wall and ceiling. Her claims would be uh, pretty easy to dismiss if a child services caseworker and a nurse weren't reportedly there to witness it all. Latoya Ammons claims all three of her children showed signs of being possessed, including what she called evil smiles and strangely deep voices, according to the In- Indianapolis Star. The mother says she also witnessed her 12-year-old daughter levitating in their Gary, Indiana home. Strangely enough, the scary-sounding incident is outlined in official documents. Further, Gary Police Chief, uh, sorry, Police Captain Charles Austin, told the Indianapolis Star that he is a believer. After making several visits to the home and interviewing witnesses, he first thought the family was making stories up as part of a get-rich-quick scheme. Amon's home was exorcised by a Catholic priest in a number of ceremonies that were reportedly authorized by the Diocese of Gary. The story apparently became so believable that officers with the police department said they were too scared to stay in the house and some city officials wouldn't even step foot on the property. The 32-year-old mother says the spirits that haunted her family's house were only vanquished after she moved away and underwent several exorcisms. The unbelievable story has come to light after the Indianapolis Star obtained hundreds of pages of official documents relating to the case. So for some time, as I say, this story has stayed with me, and I've been meaning to address the issue of demonic possession and the, uh, the Holy Rite of Exorcism on the program. I Once again, I've talked about possession on the program before, uh, but I've, I've finally been able to pull this program together and present it to you tonight. Archbishop Ron File, is with us. He's been a Catholic priest for 34 years, and he is the chief exorcist for the Sacred Order of Saint Michael the Archangel. Archbishop File, great pleasure to have you on the Conspiracy Show. How are you, sir?
2: Thank you, thank you, uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very much honored.
1: Before we proceed, uh, um, I have uh, I've talked with. Catholic priests, several of them off the air, who have been present at exorcisms. And whenever we get into a discussion about uh, demons and exorcisms, they have always advised me that it would be in all our best interest for them to say a prayer, because whenever you talk about these things, there is the potential, I think you know where I'm going with this, Archbishop, to invite these sorts of entities into our lives. And I'm just wondering, uh, before we proceed... Would you like to to say some sort of a a prayer? Would you think that's advisable?
2: Well, you know, it's it's a wonderful gesture, and, uh, of course, that'd be really nice, but I don't really feel it's necessary
1: for Ah, this
2: this thing. I think it's a matter of of what your belief system is, and I believe that um, when inviting the demonic into your space or into your area, you have to personally invite him. It cannot be a, a generalization where the demonic will just come in as a result of, of, of a conversation that we might have.
1: Well, that's it good just to know. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> that is good to know. Well, I feel much better. Um, before we get started, let me, uh, on, on your journey and your personal encounters uh, with demons, let me ask you about the, the Gary Indiana case. Uh, I'm assuming you're, you're, you're pretty familiar with that, and what do, you, what do you make of it? Actually, I think it's,
2: it's quite interesting. And what gives it a lot of credibility are the witnesses, the people who were present, who actually saw the young man uh, literally walk up the wall and flip over. I believe it was the grandmother. The grandmother was still holding his hand as he was walking the wall. And present was a state uh, social caseworker, if I'm not mistaken, and also a psychologist. And when they witnessed this, Uh, They were so shocked and terrified that they ran out of the the house. They left the premises immediately and called for assistance. I believe they called security, they called the police, they called other authorities to get them involved. They were so terrified they have never seen such a thing. And let's face it, this is something you don't see every day.
1: No, I uh, had uh, occasion while uh, filming an episode of my TV show to travel down to Yonkers, New York, and I met a Dr. Richard Gallagher, who's a state-certified uh, or a board-certified uh, psychologist uh, who claims he also uh, witnessed an authentic case of demonic possession. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Gallagher. He wrote a piece for one of the Catholic publications about this case. Are you familiar with that? Uh, actually,
2: I believe I am. I... I try to stay abreast as to what uh, what's out there, and because of our uh, technology, I'm able to do that.
1: Well, in, in, in this case, I also spoke to the, the Catholic priest who was in attendance at the exorcisms, uh, and again, you know, corroborating witnesses uh, to me, uh, and I, um, I I've stated publicly on the air that I am uh, someone who believes in the spirit world. I am an Orthodox Christian. I do believe in the spirit realm, angels, and demons. Uh, l- let's, let's talk about uh, you, Archbishop. Uh, the, uh, first of all, the sacred order of St. Michael the Archangel. Uh, tell me a little bit about that order. Is it, has it We're been around international-
2: a long time? Yes, yes, actually. Uh, we've been around since 1981. We're an international organization with members in 24 countries and 15 states. Here in the United States, our members consist of clergy and investigators, and we have a systematic way in doing things. So you might find that quite interesting. I can go into that now, or
1: well, we, we'll be coming up on a break in a couple of minutes. But let me, and we can come back to to exactly what the Sacred Order does and 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 how uh, you know one gets in touch with you if one is concerned about a loved one or a family member, et cetera, that may be uh, possessed. Um, can I ask you about um, exorcism as as it is sort of looked upon by the, the Vatican, for example? Because uh, there was a time when, I would say – just prior to uh, uh, Pope John Paul the, the when II it, when it wasn't talked about much. I mean, it, it was in the movies, it was on, portrayed in, in television and so forth, but it almost seemed as if the Vatican was not embarrassed by it, but they just didn't want to talk about it. But that seems to be changing now.
2: There's been major changes since 1962, as you may or may not be aware of. Um, our jurisdiction is a pre-Vatican II. Roman Catholic order, we're a traditional Roman Catholic order which practices the uh, traditional ways. So everything prior to 1962 would be uh, something that we uh, have practiced and uh, and and
1: subscribe to. All right, so uh, I
2: need to I need to clear that. I need to make that
1: clear. Right, right. now, okay. So the so you subscribe to essentially pre-Vatican II
2: pre vatican II. All right, listen. Now, this w- means that we, we when we say the Roman ritual, it is the genuine article. It has not been revised. Um, we say our sacraments in, uh,
1: in Latin. All right, listen, uh, i gotta, uh, I got to take a no, time we, out. Uh, forgive me, Archbishop. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll continue oh, yeah, sure. to delve into demons, angels, and exorcisms with Archbishop Ronfile The Chief Exorcist for the Sacred Order of St. Michael the Archangel, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Archbishop Ron File is with us, Chief Exorcist for the Sacred Order of St. Michael the Archangel. And the website is orderofexorcists.com. Now, Archbishop, what would you say to, to, to those who may be listening, thinking exorcism in the year 2014 my lord that belongs back in the middle ages what would you say to them
2: i would say that there are many of uh jurisdictions churches parishes bishops archbishops might also agree to that synopsis however i will tell you that um that there are a great deal of ministries that are uh, that have some form of deliverance ministry or a ministry of exorcism, which is a healing ministry. Um, So the two coexist. In our order, we also not only believe and subscribe to the miracles and healing power of our Lord, but we also work side by side with the medical community. We have two physicians that are part of our order. We have one that's a psychiatrist, and the other one's a general practitioner uh they are also in our order and any time we have a question in regards to uh to validate uh someone's um uh psychological profile or medical profile a copy of uh of the of the transcripts we go directly to our physicians and they would review and will confirm that if in fact there is a medical or psychological condition and if there is we have to go one step further and look at the other reports and assessments from that are submitted by our investigators and this would be in regards to what we refer to as outer manifestations and these are things that occur around the person who may be a target of possession or obsession, and we also do a lot of work with demonic infestation which we can go into in detail
1: Um, You said possession or obsession. What do you mean by uh, obsession?
2: Well, demonic oppression, okay, is actually what I'm referring to, and that would be a mild to severe harassment by an evil spirit. And that would be by the uh, resulting from the openings of some doors to Satan's influence. Because we live in a uh, modern world where technology is at our fingertips, there's a demonic influence all around us and so any one of us can be a target to demonic oppression.
1: Now before we we talk about how some of those doors might be opened or those portals, let me just back up a moment. You mentioned that you have medical staff that work as part of your team. So you rule out, you must rule out before you perform exorcisms, you must rule out any underlying mental health issues or or, uh, uh, substance abuse issues, is that correct?
2: These things can also be present in a demonic uh, case of demonic possession. However, there has to be more. There has to be uh, signs of physical outward manifestations that would take place along with some form of mental illness that might be present. If mental illness is the only factor that's present, then that would not be enough uh, to support a case of demonic possession. We would have to have all the evidence and just the medical and psychological profile is just part of the equation.
1: All right. Now, I mentioned the the cynics or the skeptics out there. Uh, could you think of, a, of a, a case? Obviously, you know, there's confidentiality issues and we can't mention names, but as best you can, uh, present a case that, that you would hold up to a skeptic uh, to, to, to to show them and the world that demonic possession is real.
2: What we do is we have this assessment, this process. And it's uh, done in a systematic way which would rule out any doubt in regards to any form of scenario. We have our investigators do what we refer to as a first contact interview. And we have a series of questions that are directed to the individual. Now, the individual who would be possessed would not be in the position to answer these questions. So we would Probably uh, direct these questions to someone in the household, like a mother or a father or brother or sister, someone who shares the household and as a result could give us accurate answers as to what the situation is. Once we do that, we have, and we're taping all this in, in, by way of video, uh, so we're, we're taping the, the actual um, a first contact interview, and then after the interview, uh, then we would, uh, our investigators would proceed by performing uh, a demonic investigation. And that would be of the premises, the house, place, location, and also interview people uh, in the household. And once that's done, they uh, put together what we refer to as a full uh, assessment report, which is submitted to my office. Now, if there was a question about someone being possibly um, showing signs of demonic possession, then we would request from the family to, to have their family uh, physician contact us, send us their medical records as well as the psychological records, and then our physicians would review those, and that would be part of some of the evidence that would be submitted. I got gotcha. you. Along with other things yeah. that we would... Uh, count as as the physical manifestation
1: so so give me a for instance, a case study if you could.
2: Uh, for instance, okay, someone who is uh, who's contacted us and we, and we get requests from around the world. Someone who's contacted us, perhaps a family member stating that their their child or brother or sister uh, is showing strange signs or strange behaviors, and as such almost roaming in in the supernatural realm, if you will and as a result they would like us to investigate we would send our investigators to the uh, to the premises to the location they would uh, conduct the face-to-face interview we have over 60 questions we would direct to the individual in regards to the mental changes or the um, physical changes, or even the outward manifestations that they have witnessed.
1: Right. No, I, I understand. What I'm saying is, can you actually give us some of the details from an actual uh, case without obviously identifying the individuals involved?
2: I could give you. I can give you several cases.
1: All right. Okay? Let's let's um, do that.
2: And uh, and uh, one of the cases I'd like to um, to in fact I'd like to, to tell you the story. It, it was regards to. Uh, yours truly, I've l- almost lost my life the earlier part of last year in regards to a, uh, a ritual
1: oh, that, uh, that
2: was being performed. Um, and so, if I may, I could go into this.
1: Yeah, let's let's at least begin that conversation. We've got about seven eight minutes here before the break, and then if need be, if we need more time, we'll continue on the other side. Let's begin.
2: Okay. Well. Uh, okay. Well, let's start with the. Uh, we were called. Uh, apparently, uh, there was an individual. Uh, suspected of, of having symptoms of the traditional symptoms of demonic possession. And so we were called to the premises. We arrived with a team of, uh, of uh, investigators as well as clergy. There was about nine of us. Uh, as we entered the premises and we conducted the interview, I could remember uh, smelling um, a, a horrible stench. Uh, And then the sounds started coming in, and then uh, some of the banging sounds and the walls and, 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 you know, all the things that you may have seen in the movies, (laughs) a lot of this stuff is actually real can actually happen. Uh, And then after that, uh, a a very strong wind, uh, like a breeze that went throughout the entire house. And the doors and and windows are closed, of course, but you could feel this breeze and sense heaviness in the uh the, the air was just so heavy and the victim
1: I, a, a young boy young girl who, who, the,
2: the, 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 uh, the the child was for about fourteen years old fourteen fifteen years old had uh has had some psychological problems uh was on medication um, but uh that was like that was one side of the profile. What was unusual were the other things that took place the physical manifestations as they mentioned the odors and uh, even the temperature of the room would drop uh, strong wind these are other physical manifestations that would be uh, that would coexist with the person who may uh, be demonstrating symptoms of possession um... as i was uh, reading the uh, series of prayers and i was in the center of the room um... i felt what appeared to be uh, an invisible two by two by four. It, it, it struck me three times on my left side, and I remember uh, buckling over. Uh, the pain was uh, incredible. Uh, and again, this was uh, it's by, It was done by totally, totally invisible force, uh, an invisible
1: entity. Was the, Was the? Was the? the girl? Was she? Um, oh boy. A, the boy, sorry, w- w- was this individual on a-, on a bed, tied to the bed? Um, was-
2: this individual was in the bed, was laying in a bed, and uh, the, the room was filled with people. We had, uh, as I said, eight or nine people that were present. How did he look? Uh, he uh, looked like he was in a deep, deep state of, uh, of sleep. He was, in a, as he was sleeping through the whole process, didn't move. He just he just stood as he was solid frozen in just that one, that one area. And uh, so as a result, um, you can see the discoloration in his face. Uh, in cases like this, their hair and eyes even change colors. Uh, in this case, he was breathing heavy. His, his complexion was very pasty, uh, very cold to the touch. And uh, and at this point he wasn't saying anything his eyes were closed and he was just laying there Uh, and so and as he was doing this you know we were going through the uh, through the ritual I had an assistant who was reading the responses and as a result uh, when this all took place um, and I physically was attacked at this point um, uh, a week later um, after we have left the premises um, I had to go to the hospital and uh only to find out that i had a uh, a two-liter sack of blood around my heart and uh i had three surgeries uh i had three operations uh and i was in intensive care for over 30 days
1: oh my this is a, a result this is a result of an, being attacked result. by an invisible entity in the room
2: exactly exactly as a direct result of of, of encountering this demonic entity um to this day the physicians that were attending me have no idea as to how I reached
1: that condition. Was there any bruising on your body?
2: No, there was no bruising. There was, there was no uh, bruising whatsoever. I had uh, at least a half a dozen CAT scans, chest x-rays, blood tests, you know, through the whole nine yards. They couldn't come up with a reason as to what what had taken place.
1: That's astounding. A similar thing
2: happened most recently. Um, when I... Um, One of the things that I do is I I review assessments. uh, And I'm sitting in front of my computer, and I have uh, members in our organization that would send me uh, a video feed in regards to what has taken place. Uh, You know, we have members in in third world countries that will send me information. And I'm viewing this on the screen. And this happened most recently. This happened a couple of weeks ago. And uh, what I was actually witnessing was real, demonic activity going on, and as I'm viewing this, um, something happened where I felt, be, I felt myself being pushed back from my computer, and when I lifted my shirt, I did have a bruise. That was the shape of a palm, and that same day, I did go back to the same hospital, <laughs> and they went, they gave me a CAT scan, chest x-ray, and blood test, the whole nine yards, and again, uh, there was no reason as to why that imprint was on my side.
1: Uh, back to the uh, back to the the fourteen uh, year old boy, in the bed. Um, g- walk us through what what else you saw in that room. I mean, was there was there levitation at any point? Did the child uh, wake up uh, and speak in a, in a, in another language?
2: What what was actually what actually took place? Okay, after I was struck, um, I continued with the prayers. And, and an exorcism ritual is a series of prayers in a repetitious fashion. At this point, at one point, he opened his eyes. His eyes were a solid color, uh, and as a result, breathing became very. His breathing, the rhythm of his breathing, became very rapid. And uh, at that point, we had uh, we had him basically tied down to the to the bed frame of of the bed. Um, The reason for this is there have been many cases where the victim can actually levitate, and this has been seen by many people who are in my kind of ministry. This thing actually takes place. So to prevent that from happening or any other aggression, uh, we tie the individual down to uh, whether it be a bed frame or, or something, or tie his hands and feet. And it sounds very barbaric, but there's a reason for this. Um, the person can come up, he can strike, he could physically attack people in the room, and for our own safety, the person has to be bound and tied somewhere uh, and, and remain stationary as we perform and continue to perform a ritual. Uh, at this point, heavy breathing happened and started spitting a lot. Um, it's amazing in terms of his accuracy. Uh, he could spit across the room and hit somebody in the eye. It was just amazing. And at that point, he started growling very loud. And, uh, and as a result, we continued our prayers. And at that point, um, we asked him to identify himself. That is the demon. This is part of, of, of what the ritual and how the ritual takes place. We have to identify the demon and once we know the name of the demon, then we could call the demon out. And, uh, and through a, again, through a series of prayers, we could command the demon to
1: leave the person. All right, we've got the, uh, the music uh, percolating up here, Archbishop. Just to stay where you are. We'll uh, get back together on the other side of this commercial uh, break and, and continue to delve into this uh, case of a demonic possession and exorcism. Archbishop Ron File, my guest, the chief exorcist for the Sacred Order of St. Michael the Archangel right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. And we are back with Archbishop Ron File from the Sacred Order of St. Michael the Archangel. He is the chief exorcist there. Before we proceed with this uh, case, uh, Archbishop, uh, approximately how many authentic cases of demonic possession have you witnessed?
2: I've witnessed and been involved in directly uh, I'd say over a period of thirty-four years, we're looking at a co- about a couple of thousand.
1: A couple thousand,
2: maybe and just over a couple of thousand. Now, this includes uh, demonic infestation, right? Which is uh, another thing, but it's dealing with the demonic, and uh, it's 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 very serious.
1: And this is a couple of thousand after you've. These are the what you would you would call the authentic cases after you've dismissed the others as not authentic.
2: That's exactly right. I mean, all in all, we've probably had maybe, and I'm just guessing off the top of my head, we probably had ten thousand requests over thirty four years. And out of the ten thousand, maybe two thousand, we actually uh, felt a need to get directly involved. Uh, and it's because we have a process. The process uh, is uh, it's it's down. It's a systematic process where we could. Basically, uh, rule out uh, uh, if it's just uh, a total psychosis, we could rule out the, uh, right. individuals that may be suffering mentally, or we could rule out people who are just seeking attention. Right. Um, and I mean, you know, the list goes on in regards to um, cases that would not be valid. Um, right. To be a valid case, it would take us about three months to process the assessment. And have a good, solid support uh, case uh, of of demonic possession. We have to make sure that that it's a genuine case before we proceed. Uh,
1: This is a thorough investigation for three months. Now, do do you ever? Does it ever get easier in terms of? I mean, are you? I'm guessing you must be absolutely scared out of your mind when you when you when you witness something like this. Does it? Does that ever go away? Or
2: every case is totally different. Uh, One of the most. dramatic cases that i've been on and i've witnessed is that is actually seeing the the demonic uh having an, an actual physical head come through the wall and uh and again you know a lot of this stuff has never really been publicized because let's face it it sounds crazy and uh and as a result there are a lot of churches that will shy away from these kinds of ministries because of, of, of the uh Of of the various allegations that could be uh, uh, tied uh, to their ministry. When things happen like this, it changes you. Uh, People who are involved, as our investigators, for example, um, once they are on their first demonic investigation and they witness the demonic firsthand, their whole perspective uh, and belief system is altered. And as a result, they look at life differently.
1: I can imagine. Uh, all right, back to this case. <clears throat> this fourteen-year-old uh, boy, restrained, um, and uh, did he? Did he? Uh, I, was the demon identified? Did he speak the name? Yes.
2: Yeah. There's a few things before that. Okay. Okay, and, and, I'll, and I'll elaborate a little bit on that. Um, he's he's laying down, and he looks like he's extremely rigid. He, he's tied down. His eyes are totally dilated. He's breathing. His breathing is extremely heavy. He starts. Screaming is not the right word. I think it's growling would be. It's between growling and screaming, a extremely loud sound that you could probably hear a block away. Um, the, the, the The sound was so loud it rattled the windows <laughs> in, in in the in the room. Um, it was almost deafening, and uh, and it was just not a, a scream. It was it, it, it's it's such a blast. It's hard to articulate in regards to exactly what or what to compare it with. In any case, um, it was so loud and deafening that the individual that was standing next to me had to leave the room because the sound was so intense. Then, again, after that uh, period, uh, it seemed like it, the sound went on for an hour, but in reality it was just a few minutes. Uh, it seems like time just basically uh, uh, put us in a state where everything was a uh, slow motion pace, if you will. Uh, and it's what it is, basically, it's a psychological thing. We're all taking all of this in simultaneously, not only visually, but orderly. We're, we're, seeing, we're, we're witnessing everything, um, and, and it seems like for the first time. Every case is totally different, but every once in a while, there are a few things that are very similar, and one of the things that I could say would be the pitch, the voice of the individual who's possessed. Uh Sometimes you will hear two, or three, or four voices come out simultaneously at the same time. Mm. Uh, high pitches, low pitches. There, we we have recorded such things um, where where the voice pitch, uh, you know, as you know, your your verbal pitch has a certain sound, certain uh, uh, a rhythm to it, if you will.
1: Right, and a timber.
2: Yeah, when you have two, three, four voices at one time, it's like a chorus of voices, and so the pitch level is high, low, and as a result, uh, if you, if you, and I'm sure you're familiar with the, with electronic uh, equipment that's available where you could actually tape uh, the voice patterns of, of the of, of the sounds. It's, right. It's it's quite remarkable. Um.
1: And do maybe, you record these?
2: Yeah, we we've do recorded. We recorded, you uh, know, we, we do this in terms of, 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 of just reviewing in terms of our assessments. And, we, and this is part of the evidence to support a case. Uh, and if we have enough of that evidence, then, of course, we can, you know, we can give the green light to, to have a ritual, actually.
1: Performed. It, uh, we, we are coming up on another break here, but let me just ask you a couple of quick questions. Uh, did this entity speak to you directly? Oh, yes. What did it say?
2: Um, it's a series of profanities, which I don't know if you'd want me to repeat those.
1: No, not necessary. I think we get um, the drift but I could
2: i could but let's see how I could put this um, something to the effect that uh we should get out and that uh, and that we're worthless, and what we're trying to do um, uh, will not be effective and uh, that the body of the person that, that, uh, that this entity was inhabiting uh, was claiming it to be its own, uh, its own property, and therefore we have no right to it. And uh, in essence, and I have really cleaned that up.
1: <laughs> yes, I can imagine. All right, listen, uh, Archbishop, stay, uh, stay put. We'll come back in just a few moments and continue to discuss demonic possession and exorcisms. Archbishop Ron File, the Sacred Order of Saint Michael the Archangel, here on the Conspiracy Show. Uh, it, it's frustrating sometimes, Archbishop. I, I really need like three hours to drill down seriously into this topic, but I have but the one. So uh, let me um, uh, let me race ahead here a little bit. Uh, did the did the victim, this fourteen-year-old boy, the victim of this demonic possession, did he demonstrate um, certain abilities, uh, for example? Uh, Either before the the, the, the rite of exorcism or during the interview or the questioning, did he ever demonstrate certain abilities, uh, abnormal abilities, superhuman strength, uh, psychic abilities, things like that?
2: He spoke to one of the investigators who was present and identified him by name and said something to the effect that he should be ashamed of himself because of the affair he's having with his business partner. And his wife knows nothing about it, and identified him as a pig, and said uh, and told him uh, some various other things that were of personal, um, of personal nature that no one in the room had no idea, and uh, and that was pretty shaking. Yeah, um, I guess. In the and all in all, while all of this is happening, there are things happening in the room. There are things moving in the room. There are things, literally, uh, you, could, you could feel the walls. If you were to place your hands on the walls, you would feel the vibrations on the walls, like almost a wavery type of movement. That wasn't actually happening, but if you were to put your hands on the walls, that's exactly what you would have felt. Um, there were things happening in the room while he was conscious and while he was speaking, Things would happen, and and it was very nerve, uh, uh, nerve wracking to say the least. To make a long story short, the um, after uh, I believe it was three days, and this was three days. This is like six hours a day. I think the first hour. I think the first day was about nine or ten, and then it was the six hours after that. And the following day was six hours. The demon finally revealed his name, and as a result, we were able to. Uh, connect with that demon and command the demon to leave the body of this young boy. And uh, it, was a, it was an interesting experience. All the people in the room claim that they felt something. They felt something like more than just the hair on the back of their neck stand up. They felt uh, like, like if they're being pushed or having problems breathing or the air was so thick. Uh, that they were out of breath when they left the room. Um, Each person had their own personal experience as to what took place. And as a result, there were three or four people that were present. As I said, there was about eight or nine of us in the room. Three or four people uh, stated that they did not see exactly what happened at the very end, and yet they were only standing a few feet away. It was as if they just went blank for a split second and uh whatever took place it was it it was like uh, uh it, it just didn't play back in their in their memory as a result uh, you know and again these are things that you know that uh, that are not uh general known facts that may occur in a in a, a ritual
0: such as this
1: now this took 3 days or parts of 3 days yes. is, is there uh, is there an average uh, amount of time that it takes to exercise someone? Can it, take, can it take just one time? Can it take sometimes dozens of times?
2: I've worked on cases that have taken a couple of years. Oh, and I've my. also worked on cases that have only taken one afternoon. Um, it just depends. If you're talking about a multiple position where there are multiple demons that are possessing the individual. We are That's legion. the individual is being tormented and you could see he's being torn from inside out. I mean, it's, it's such a horrible thing to witness. But if the, if the person has multiple demons, then whoever is the lead priest performing the actual ritual, he will have to identify each, each demon and it could take a long time. It could take six months, it could take a year, it could take, as I said, uh, the one case took just over two years.
1: Oh my! Is is, is this every a full other time day
2: going back and repeating the same prayers
1: yes. in repetition fashion? Is this full time for you? I mean, is there any time for anything else?
2: <laughs> I wish there was.
1: <laughs> this
0: is
2: I, full I, time. I, I work about seven days a week, and uh, but understand, okay? I have I have over sixty members. I think, I think we're up to sixty five members now, who are clergy and investigators, and they're out. They're, they're working the cases, they're doing assessments, they're performing rituals, things of this nature. They're sending their assessments back to me. I make a final determination as to whether or not we have enough information and enough evidence to support a case. And this is after reviewing the medical, psychological, and then the physical evidence that our investigators would submit.
1: Where do um, these demons go once they're
2: exercised? I can tell you where they're not. And they're not in the person. They exit the person. The person becomes cheerful, becomes um, as uh, as he would appear before he was possessed. And in most cases, you could smell roses. You could it, there's a sweetness in, in the in the room, and uh, and and the whole the whole demeanor of, 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 the, of the whole experience by the individual and all the family members. It it, it transforms into a, a very happy occasion, and, and then you know. That the demonic is no longer present,
1: and what happened to this fourteen-year-old boy? Now, is he now leading a normal life?
2: Um, he is living. He's living a normal life. Yes, I, I s- still believe he's on medication, though. But he's not experiencing the supernatural things that were occurring at the same time as he was uh, as he was on medication. Um, so, I mean, he's still on medication.
1: Do demons? Um, but, did, sorry, uh, Archbishop. Do demons select as their victims? individuals that are that that have some underlying mental issue because because that will mask the possession and people won't believe that they are actually possessed at
2: times in fact this is an excellent issue um when we have people who make a request for our services and if they claim to be possessed by a demonic um the first thing that comes to mind is a red flag because the demonic would not want anyone to know that they are present Their whole purpose is to wear a person down, not kill that person, but but push that person to a state where that person would want to commit suicide, make their life so miserable. The physical pain, the mental anguish, everything. Uh, And then demonic oppression can slide into demonic possession. When that happens, it's a complete takeover of body and mind, and as a result, uh, the personality of that demon will surface within that body and then what you'll see is self-destruction you will see uh, self-mutilation you will see uh, things that uh, that, uh, that would be so horrifying and it would probably <laughs> create nightmares for a year just trying to forget about what you have actually witnessed um, these things are real and as a result they're also very private this is a very private issue among the family members and family units that have these form of problems. It, it, it's something that's not really publicized per se. Uh, One of the main reasons I'm, I even agreed to come on your show and I do interviews like this is to let people know that we exist and they could come to us if they have any problems in regards to the demonic. And how do they uh, get a hold of you? Uh, we, have, we have a couple of websites and all our members have websites as well. But our main websites are um, orderofexorcist.com and orderofexorcist.weebly.com. And uh, they just have to hit the contact page, give us as much detail as possible, tell us what city, state, and country they're located in. And, uh, and you and, will uh, travel
1: uh, to them. You will travel to them. If if no, if no, ne-
2: no. Well, we have we have members in twenty four countries. Oh, I and, see. Okay, and and we're, we're we're across the country. We're across the United States as well. We have some in Canada. We have some uh, in in Poland. We have uh, some in UK. We we have members all over who are clergy and investigators.
1: How are you funded?
2: We are a nonprofit organization, and we seek no money. All our services are free. All our investigators and clergy, they do it because they have a calling from God, and therefore everything we do is absolutely free. Of course, we accept donations, and when they come in, that's a blessing, but we, know we don't seek donations. We seek the blessings from God, and God gives us the ability to do what we do.
1: All right, let's spend the final moments talking about uh, how someone becomes possessed. Uh, let's, let's talk about how one might... Um, open a portal or a door or okay. welcome one of these entities into their lives.
2: Okay, I'll try to make this real quick because I know you're short on time. Okay, um, first of all, we're all targets, every one of us. Uh, if you're breathing oxygen, if you're walking the earth, you are a target to the demonic. Uh, everyone is uh, is, uh, is a target. The demonic's nature is to attack us, and they will do this through invitation. Um, I would say stay away from Ouija boards. I'd say stay away from... Uh, other things that may open your mind and your willingness to, uh, to interact with uh, an invisible entity. Uh, the demonic will disguise itself as an angel of light. In reality, it's just waiting for you to invite it in. And once it does that, uh, demonic oppression, the main entry point is the mind. Once it's in the mind, it will torment that individual, wear that person down, and perhaps even fall into a full possession.
1: So uh, one should avoid, let's say, for example, attempting to communicate uh, with, with relatives that have passed on, for example, right. seeing a medium.
2: Stay away from chandlers, stay away from uh, Ouija boards, stay away from seances, stay away from anything that would open a doorway for the demonic to come in. The demonic will only come in through personal invitation, and because of uh, the Internet and through our modern technology, demonic influence is all around us. And as a result, it's so easy for anyone. In fact, I would dare to say that in the uh, lifespan of a normal person, they will be touched by the demonic at least once. And uh, if, they're, if they're terribly unlucky, many times.
1: Have, final question. Have you, have, uh, have you ever uh, come across a case where the individual was too far gone, there was nothing you could do for them?
2: The boundaries of God's power is unlimited. It is more than it's more powerful than Satan's powers. So as a result, uh, any person who is who can be saved will be saved through the power of God. There are no limits. Um, uh, it could be done. Now, understand the person who is possessed has to also have a willingness to want to be saved. Uh, who may want to become well again. They have to have that inner. Uh, survival instinct. If they, if they don't have that, then there's no way for us to get to them and to save them.
1: All right, Archbishop, listen, leave us with the uh, the websites again for people who um, uh, need to get in touch with you.
2: Okay, well, our main website uh, is orderofexorcist.com Just use the contact page, give us much detail, state, country you're in, and your details, and we will get to you.
1: Uh, and again you have uh, you have members in Canada uh, in the Toronto area
2: yes, we do actually
1: all right, and you 're working seven days a week, round the clock. Um, well, I really appreciate you spending some time with us Archbishop and perhaps we can uh, we can talk again
2: uh, It would be my pleasure, and I thank you very much for having me on
1: All right, God bless you sir. you too Archbishop Ron File, who is the chief exorcist uh, from the Holy or the Sacred Order of Saint Michael the Archangel, orderofexorcists.com, uh, is the best way to get in touch with them. Uh, my website again, www.richardserrett.com. That's your portal to this radio program. And again, don't forget the uh, website for the TV show season three, theconspiracyshow.com. Great website, very proud of it. Uh, season three begins August 11th, 10 p.m. Eastern across Canada on Vision TV. In the meantime, follow the truth. Well, you found us. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett and thanks for inviting me into your home and thank you, most of all, for your ears. I'm a little out of breath. I, uh, between breaks here, I'm just or during breaks, I'm just running down the hall uh, to the boardroom uh, to check on my little guys. Uh, my twin boys are camping out here with me tonight. Every uh, so often, I like to bring them down to the, uh, the radio station so they can see where the old man works. And uh, they're having a great time. They're just about asleep. Uh, so I'm going to race down there again in about 14 minutes just to make sure uh, all is quiet. Hey, I uh, wanted to let you know, next Saturday night, I'll be sitting in on uh, filling in as a guest on uh, Coast to Coast AM once again. And uh, I hope you'll, be, you'll uh, have an opportunity to, uh, to join me wherever you are. R. Gary Patterson. Rock and Roll Investigator R. Gary Patterson uh, will be with me on that night to discuss the 44, uh, 45th anniversary of Woodstock, 45 years ago uh, this month. And we'll talk about the uh, the strange circumstances surrounding the death of the man who closed the Woodstock Art and Music Festival, of course, Jimi Hendrix. Uh some suggest there may have been foul play involved there. We'll talk about that. Among others, maybe we'll, uh, we'll discuss Jim Morrison, John Lennon, and much, much more, R. Gary Patterson. Now, in the first hour of uh, the Coast to Coast AM broadcast, I'll be speaking with the author of a brand new study on telephone calls from the dead. And uh, this, is, this is a real amazing uh, report because some of the evidence uh, or the evidence suggests that there may be something to this phenomenon. Telephone calls from the dead. That's all part of Coast to Coast AM when I sit in on Saturday, August the 9th. I uh, hope you'll join me for something else. It's called Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit on Sunday, November the 16th at the Regent Theater. I'm going to be hosting this all day conference style event with six incredible speakers. Don Schmidt, Roswell Investigator. Jim Peniston, witness to the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. Professor Ron Mallett on time travel. Patty Greer on crop circles. Jim Elvidge, uh, author of The Universe Solved, will be talking about whether or not we're living in a matrix. Richard Dewhurst uh, will be talking about ancient giants who ruled America. More details and ticket info at www.followthetruth.tv. For the last several months, I have been inundated uh, with tweets and emails uh, from listeners wanting me to do a program about Bigfoot, and I promised I would do that. And uh, typically, when I do a show about Sasquatch, I end up speaking to someone from the Northwest—British Columbia, Washington State, Oregon, California. In fact, when I did a, a television show on on Bigfoot, an episode, uh, we, we went we went out to California. We, because we tend to think that Sasquatch only dwells in the, in the rainforests of the Pacific Northwest, and that's simply not the case. There have been sightings in, of, of Bigfoot in all 50 states, including Rhode Island, if you can believe it. And all 10 provinces, including the province of Ontario, from where this program is emanating. Ontario lists close to, I think it's nearing 100 sightings now, from as far back as 1906. There was one in Cobalt, Ontario. And uh, in 2010, in Lake Superior Provincial Park. Each case is sort of quasi-scientifically investigated. The site operators interview witnesses where possible. Some sightings are obviously weak cases for the Sasquatch's existence. There are people who claim they've heard Sasquatch rather than actual sightings. Others are, well, I guess up to the, the reader to, dis, to decide. Uh, more recently, I believe it was June of this year, at least that's when the story and the video was posted. It was stamped June 2014. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Tim Everick, of the Ontario Wildlife Field Research, Ontario, Bigfoot. Um, I believe there was an image of uh, of what they they think may have been a Sasquatch captured on a GoPro video camera. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but uh, in southern Ontario, there have been three fairly recent sightings in Dundalk, Ontario. Back in 1987, Mark Dale... Ontario in 1995, and St. Thomas in 2007, and the latter Bigfoot uh, sighting was on the Elgin Trail, and it's perhaps the most convincing. Now, I mentioned the Ontario Wildlife Field Research Ontario Bigfoot Group, and I have one of its members on the line with me now, Christine Burns is a member of the aforementioned Ontario Wildlife Field Research Ontario Bigfoot Group. She's had a long career as a registered nurse. She's also a holistic health practitioner who has studied under Ojibwa healers. She had her first face-to-face Bigfoot encounter when she was approximately 10 years old in a wooded area in South Porcupine, Ontario. Her first Bigfoot tracking expedition was in 2012 on Vancouver Island, where she and her late husband became educated in Bigfoot habitat, behaviors, tracking, casting, and evidence collection. Christine Burns, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
3: Well, I'm good. And I'm, I'm very impressed with what you've already researched. I hope I can add to a lot of that.
1: Well, yeah, I, I'm 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 fascinated by a Sasquatch. Never uh, I have come close to a sighting. Uh, I've done a number of shows on it, a little bit of research, but I am absolutely fascinated by it, uh, and and obviously my listeners are because, as I say, they, you know they've been they've been letting me know they they they've wanted me to do a show about this for some time, and it's been a while. So here we go. Let's 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 go back. Let's dial it back. Uh, to South Porcupine when you were 10 years old. Uh, Walk us through what happened, Christine.
3: Well, I always used to... uh, The uh, wooded area was very close to uh, where I lived. It was only a block or two away. And as kids, we always went up and uh, played in that area where, you know, we'd find uh, raspberry canes and blueberries and do kids what kids do. Um, And um, so I I was never really... a. um, afraid of going into the bush by myself. I mean, at that time, we didn't have all the warnings about bears. I can remember my mother, you know, if a bear came in the yard, we'd go out with a broom, you know, and so it, there was no really, um, nothing that really kept us from, like, going up there if we were, say, on our own and meet up as uh, with pals. So I happened to know that the time of the year that I was up there, um, there was raspberry canes, and that's what I went up to collect. So what happened when um, I was, um, there was new houses that had built along that that stretch of road called Legion Drive, and a lot of that time the bush was just pushed back, so there was a lot of ridges and and kind of gullies back there where they had just dumped the um, brush area, and that's where the raspberry canes would grow. So I was picking uh, raspberries and reaching my hand through the bushes while I was a bit on an angle. And as I put my hand up to uh, reach in and grab some of these berries, um, two hands came out. And there I was face to face with something that I never imagined I would ever see. Um, I fell backwards kind of off of the thing. And I can remember um, the face is still very vivid in my memory. um, And I remember running like hell back home. and, and I knew instinctively that no one would really believe me. I knew this wasn't um, some person in the bush. I knew it was not a bear. Um, very schooled at, ha- you know, knowing what a bear looks like. What, what, what,
1: what, walk me through. What did it look like exactly?
3: You know what? It was um, long hair uh, that I remembered that. I remember the hands having some hair, but they were very, very huge hands. And... Um, uh what I remember the most um was um kind of the way it was staring at me in as much wonderment as I seemed to be staring at it. There was almost like a, a facial expression of frowning and looking at me. I remember the nose very more um uh human like and not a gorilla not flat and 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 squash like you you see the you know the pictures we see of gorillas. But I remember the most part was like the eyes were, were like a hazel-like um, eyes. Um, I'm, you know, I've read since then that, you know, these, they kind of are supposed to, in the dark, will have a red glow. But I just remember so much that they were of a light hazel color. And, what and what facial, color was,
1: excuse me, Christine, I'm sorry, what, yeah. what, what color was the hair?
3: Um, the hair was reddish and, and dark. It was almost like a um, lighter across the top of the head that came down. Um, and I remember very much seeing like straggly hair hanging on what, what I could see of the neck and shoulder, which wasn't much. Uh, whether this animal was on the other side of the of hump or whether it was down, kneeling down to look at me, I don't know. I, I just know that um, it looked um, wild. It looked wild, but it also looked human-like.
1: So we're talking about hair, long hair, not fur.
3: No, to me it was it was like like you would um, hair hanging in long, long strings, and some almost curly, but definitely lighter on the upper part towards the, the shoulder. Looked darker. Now that could have been from the shading and the, um, the shadowing as well.
1: And uh, was this creature, was it, was it bent over? I mean, were you looking, was it hunched over? You were looking straight into its eyes, or were you looking up at it?
3: Um, I was at an angle kind of up at it. So when it looked at me, it was kind of like, it was definitely the face was higher than mine, but it kind of angled down to look at me, like, like inquisitive. To me, it, you know, when I think back on it, I would think the animal must have crouched down to look at me. That's the only impression I can get because, I mean, as a child, I was just locked on the face. I was locked on the face and, and um, the details of uh, covered by the, the hands coming through the raspberry canes were obviously like, you know, um, showing that it was, it was down at some kind of level.
1: Any, any idea how, how large this, this creature was?
3: Oh the the head was very large was very large
1: How tall any idea
3: No I couldn't I couldn't estimate even as a child even now I can very much picture the face but but any other details are kind of um not not within my scope of remembering at that kind of stage the hands though were large there were there were fingernails the ha- and the skin too was not necessarily dark or or blackish. It was more like a. Um, I hate to you know more like a the redness and the, you know of a of a burnished brown.
1: Right, and and any way of of identifying whether this may have been a male or female.
3: No. Um. You know. I, I remember as I ran away, um, thinking um, nobody's. Nobody's going to believe me. And so there was this sense, and I, I, I know now from reading, there's a sense of, of the fact that um, people often don't remember um, what they've actually seen. Um, it's almost like the, um, um, actually the Seminole uh, Indians um, believe that, um, that they are capable of causing um, a type of memory loss. This might be related to uh, the fact that there's been um, much discussion about them using um, uh, infrasound.
1: All right, listen, Christina. I I hate to interrupt. I've got to take a quick break. We'll come back. Christine Mm -hmm. Burns talks about her Bigfoot encounter here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. All right, little guys are tucked in and finally asleep, I think, down the Mm -hmm. hall, so we can uh, resume our conversation with Christine Burns. Uh, who is uh, revealing or detailing her uh, encounter, her close-up, face-to-face encounter with a Bigfoot in South Porcupine, Ontario. Where is South Porcupine, uh, for those uh, not in the know, Christine? uh,
3: northern Ontario. It's uh, now part of the Timmins City Limits.
1: Timmons. Okay, that uh, fixes it in my mind, and I think actually, I uh, during a family vacation we we rolled through South Porcupine at a certain point. Now, uh, I'm not. I know better than to ask people how old uh, women, how old they are, but I'm doing the math. I know you graduated from nursing in 1972. Uh, so, and you this happened when you were about 10. So we're talking about the early 60s. Yes. Now you've heard this a million times, Christine. But for the record, you know, people are going to say that was. Fifty years ago, Christine, the mind can play a lot of tricks. How do you know you saw what you saw, and that you're not remembering a dream or something like that?
3: Well, I have to get—I would have to say that when you experience something like that as closely as I did, it, it imprints, right? Um, you know, I want to say that you know um, we're all we're all um, attracted to the mystery of the Sasquatch or Bigfoot, right? I mean let's face it he's the monster that lives in our backyard and we have lots of backyards in our country um you know um there's truth in the fact that people have had these experience just like mine but they don't come forward and I didn't come forward as a child I instinctively knew that if I was to say that I had seen say I would have quoted a gorilla in you know in the bush I mean Nobody would have paid any attention, or and and there's always even a child is a fair, afraid of ridicule, and we find this now even in adults that have had experiences. They won't, you know, they mention it, and and all ov- obviously people, you know, um, have this attitude of uh, dismissing what they've seen. So, you know, um, as the Ontario Wildlife Field uh, Research people, we we face. Um, um, the problem that people will report to us, um, but we always keep everything totally confidential. There's um, we we want to take reports because we want to track sightings. Um, you know, uh, I think that um, if I could use um, Algonquin Park, um, there has been 200 sightings. Um, now, those have been those have been reported in in some way or form or video or by mention. Um,
1: 200 sightings in in the Provincial Park alone?
3: Yes, there's been 200 uh, sightings in Algonquin Park. It's a perfect environment. It's over 7,630 square kilometers. The interior is only accessible by canoe. Um, There's coniferous and deciduous forests, the climate. There's a great... um, uh, Analogy that we can make now between areas where there are Sasquatch sightings and the amount of precipitation that's received in that area.
1: Interesting. Listen, that's, I, I want to come back to Algonquin in in a moment, but I just stay. Uh, I want to stay with your sighting for just a few more moments. Okay. Um, was this creature? Did it appear to be menacing at all?
3: I think I've really got the impression when I see the face movement that it was looking at me. Um, maybe trying to figure out who I was or what I was. Um, I was um, small, um, blonde-haired. Um, there has been um, some um, uh, reports that, um, that there's a preference to blondes, that a lot of blondes have had uh, sightings. I don't believe this animal shows itself. It's known as being sneaky, I don't think it shows itself and, unless it wants to to view what's on the other, what its perception is trying to form. This um, this could have been a young um, Bigfoot and just as curious um, uh, to see me. As, sure, sure. And I, that's, that's quite logical. Um,
1: did you even know definitely. what Sasquatch was at that point? Had you heard stories about Sasquatch?
3: Never, never. I didn't... I knew that I I had seen something that looked like a gorilla, but wasn't a gorilla. It wasn't a wild man living in in the bush, um, you know, an old prospector or anything like this. It was definitely, to me, it was an animal that looked like a man in many ways.
1: And you had the, you were able to get up and and run. I mean, many people <laughs> may have been paralyzed by fear, but you got up and you you, you made your escape. Yeah. <laughs> And when you I got fell
3: backwards, mm-hmm. and some of that I can't remember, I do remember watching my feet running because I didn't want to trip and fall. Uh, in my mind, it was like if I fell, um, but the, I wasn't being chased. Um, I was just running from my own fear.
1: It didn't pursue you. No. So you got home and, and what happened? You just you, you stayed quiet and told not it, nary a soul for years and years and years.
3: No, I think it's like um, I think it's like when I talk about the the mystery of, of the Sasquatch. It's like it's the monster in our backyard, you know. Children don't start we don't start telling stories about monsters under our beds, and and to me at that time, um, I just felt like that not not discussing it didn't give any reality to that monster that's out in the bush. Um,
1: when we were able to connect the dots, what, did you did you see a, a movie, read a book about Sasquatch, and say, "Bingo, that's what I saw"?
3: I guess I was I was um, probably in my teens or whatever, and there was there was um, m- uh, many things around the the Patterson um, uh, Gim Gimlet
1: um, Patterson Gimley, yeah, sure, yes,
3: and and uh, Gimlin, yes, and and so that was really um, quite um public and and then i it's, i felt kind of validated that like you know that 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 i saw does exist and when there was all the controversy over whether it was um you know staged or whatever um i knew instinctively no i that i know that that, that can't be staged and then of course there was the um there was the movie that was about um harry the harry and the henderson's or right, whatever right right and all that, and, and, um, and I just felt that, no, this, this, this at the time I said animal, um, I know exists. I've had my own experience. Um, I didn't really need it to feel that I had to share it with anybody, because um, what was the point? As you said, I was like 10. Somebody can easily say, well, you don't remember, or it's something that you dreamed. Um, but... Um, but the but the Patterson Gimlin uh, film, um, you know, to me right away I knew you no, know, that's that must have been what I saw. That's what must have been looking at right.
1: me. Right. Right. Now you you, you uh, graduated from nursing in '72 and and, and uh, had a, a, a long nursing career. Uh, you married a police officer from North Bay. Yeah. Uh, at at what point? Uh, because I know that you and your your late husband traveled out to Vancouver Island and you went on your first Bigfoot expedition, but only a couple years ago. At what point did you decide, I have to do something with this? I, you know, I had this face-to-face encounter. Was it always in the back of your mind that you were going to pursue this?
3: Not until my son, uh, uh, after his military career, was uh, posted out to Vancouver Island, and that's where he retired, and um, he he um, found out that um, the area that he lives in Comox, Courtney, there's been a lot of um, Bigfoot activity, Sasquatch. And um, he, so he started talking to me about it, and, and um, uh, he said that he was um, wanting to go on um, on a Bigfoot expedition and that he thought that it would be uh, wonderful for uh, David and I, my husband and I, to go out there as a retirement gift, and he would um you know, pay for us to go on this expedition and um that's when i shared with um I had shared with my son that I had an experience because he was um reading an awful lot about uh vancouver island and and uh the b c and the pacific coast and um the um so so when he knew that I had had a childhood experience that's what popped into his mind is well let's go and my son now is um an investigator for the ERFO. Um, he's um, he's uh, really enjoying his. Um, it's not a hobby. It's um, he's um, quite en- engrossed in this, and so that's why um, I've gone again um, an expedition in 2013 and to um, in 2014. I go for the education. Um, I would have to say that I am a hands-on investigator. Um, I like going out. To I like looking for signs, um, you know, stick structures. I would love to find a footprint, hair samples. Um, that's what intrigues me, is being out there in the environment. Um, and we have the environment right here in Ontario. We have the same um, ability to find more of um, the evidence of, uh, and hopefully someday it's scientific, the scientific Community will accept that uh, the Bigfoot exists. We have um, we have uh, footprints, we have uh, handprints, we have fingerprints, we have hair samples. The only thing that's lacking um, is uh, is a body. And any of us who do investigate uh, Bigfoot, uh, that's, that's something maybe that we really don't want to have happen in in a strange way. <laughs>
1: You said something interesting in your in your in your bio that you sent me. You said, I, "I don't want to find Bigfoot. I want Bigfoot to find me." What do you mean by that?
3: There's um there's a an Ojibwe um belief that the and I feel that as well that it's um it's a spirit animal and that um, if you have the right intention, it will show itself, and um, I I believe that really and truly. I don't want it to learn from human investigation that we're trying to encroach on it or that we're trying to harm it. So I, I believe that, um, and I, I've met many other investigators uh, feel that way too, that when we're out and we're uh, walking the the uh, mountain uh, roads and trails at night and we're we're doing calling and wood knocks and screams, we're trying to have the Sasquatch see us and come into our, say, our base camp or follow us to look at what we're doing. Why are we trying to behave like them? What's the connection?
1: When you say that that it is a spirit animal, uh I mean, what what does that mean exactly? Are we talking about maybe a creature that, that may exist in more than one dimension at one time? I'll give, for example, um, I have heard from uh, certain Bigfoot trackers that they have tracked uh, footprints uh, into the woods, let's say in the snow, for example, and the footprints suddenly stop. They don't go anywhere, um, which might suggest maybe this creature... Left this dimension and and kept walking into another dimension. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to get too woo woo here, but I mean, what, what that sort of seems to be the logical extension of what a spirit animal might be. What, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, I've had I've had one investigator actually state that, um, uh, and she uh, works in the forest industry. That she actually had um, a full sighting of a Sasquatch. And as she looked at it, it suddenly it disappeared. I call it ghosting. We don't know what capabilities these animals have. We do feel that they see uh, infrared. That's why uh, cam uh, like um, recorders for trail cams, don't work. There's many humans that can see infrared as well. So they avoid uh, the cameras, the infrared. We also know that they can do um, what I've said before, um, the uh infrasound um they believe that it's kind of um the i know that the uh, tiger is being uh, in, uh studied for that their roar is able to make someone freeze um, and actually have even a memory loss because of the the shock and the, the that um, uh, the vibrations so do we really know i mean I know that um um the natives um, don't talk about them necessarily uh, disappearing, um, but uh, as I said before, the, the Seminole Indians believe that they are able to give us uh, the ability to forget due to a hypnotic effect that they have. And, um, and that, again, uh, relates to the infra- infrasound that uh, is capable of predators.
1: When, we're coming up on a break here, uh, Christine. When we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, your investigations, your expeditions to Vancouver Island uh, with your son and uh, your late husband. I, am I correct? Yeah. You, you, you yeah. lost your husband? Uh, now he was a criminal investigator, and you also mentioned something in your bio that um, – here he is, a criminal investigator. It's all about the evidence for him. Your 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 husband, late husband, sounded like sort of a no nonsense guy. Yet he was convinced by the available evidence that that if you had to stand up in court, you could prove the existence of, of Bigfoot. Is that correct?
3: That's correct. He was a forensic science um, a tech and also a criminal investigator. And when he went out, quite honestly, in our first expedition, he was skeptical, but. Um, being, seeing and um, visualizing the evidence um, that the um, investigators out there presented to us and through education and um, uh, actual pictures and whatever my, my husband stated that in a court of law if he had to if he presented the evidence that is out there uh, a court of law would have to uh, come with a verdict that Sasquatch exists
1: All right, Christine, hold on. Christine Burns from the Ontario Wildlife Field Research Ontario Bigfoot Group back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. And uh, say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. Christine Burns is with us. She had her first face-to-face Bigfoot encounter when she was approximately 10 years old in a wooded area in South Porcupine, Ontario. That's up near Timmins. And her first Bigfoot tracking expedition was in 2012 on Vancouver Island where she and her late husband became educated in Bigfoot habitat, behaviors, tracking, casting, and evidence collection. Um, Did any of, have any of your expeditions out to Vancouver Island um, yielded any significant evidence, Uh, video, photographies, audio recordings, anything like that, Christine?
3: Um, My first expedition, uh, when we were out there, uh, we were doing, we were uh, learning how to... um, do screaming or calling and uh, we actually had a um, a response um, this, um, uh, this this the second expedition that I went on um, we seemed to have a, a, a lot of um, activity at night um, for the group we were seem to be uh, uh, we felt like there's also a sense of well I should mention this there's also a sense of of feeling that you, you know that something's around. It's a very, we, for us, it's a very instinctual thing, you know. And um, when we were uh, all um, as a group at our base camp, the, um, the um, kind of formulating the last of our investigative skills and what we had been researching, um, we were all sitting around and um, a tree was felled uh, right behind us, just pushed down. Um, uh, we immediately froze uh, because that's one of the things that, um, you know, if you've seen any of uh, uh, the YouTubes or whatever, often um, a tree will get pushed over. It's almost like a warning.
1: Yes, yes.
3: And um, we all kind of froze. And then, as we all know, you don't want to all rush because you don't want to destroy any evidence. So uh, the primary investigators um, went up, um, mark the area for looking for any prints and that and um i didn't i didn't myself go up uh it was like on a on the slope of the land we were uh, near a lake edge so so it was up on the on the slope and um I'm sure that that was recorded as that we had, something had come down towards our base camp and and more or less giving us the uh <laughs> the warning
1: you mentioned their um, calls so you you um, you put out a call.
3: So what we do is we break up into groups and we find um, a valley or uh, a long ridge line or whatever, and then we um, the investigators um, uh, scout out the area that we're going to set up a base camp. Um, they only we only get the longitude and latitude of where we're going uh, just before we leave for the expedition. That's so that we can prevent anybody. Um, eliminate any hoaxing or anything, not done by any of the investigators going in there, but just, just for the sake of that we're trying to keep this uh, as uh, pure investigation as we can. So we go up onto the different ridges, and we have different groups, and what we decide to do is um, someone, um, will a female, uh, will uh, scream uh, down that um, valley or ridge line, uh, hoping to get a response. Then um, uh, we um, we have recorders and we also wait and listen for them any any responses and then maybe a male um, in one of the other groups will do the type of uh, call that would be uh, similar to what a, a male Sasquatch would make and so what we're trying to do is um, is uh, actually make any sasquatch in the area realize that there's a female and a male and in their territory. Um, it could be seen as that um, uh, it could bring responses. We seem to get more responses out of uh, wood knocks. And that has got to be some kind of uh, messaging system. One thing to be said, you never do one knock. One knock has been recognized as being confrontational. So it's always two knocks. And then we wait for a period of time to see if there's any response um it's um it's amazing when we consider the height that we're, um, of the elevation that we're at and how far that those screams and those knocks can carry down these um, these areas right and, right and we, you know it's you you realize that a lot of the uh, knocks that are responded back are even louder than than uh, what we've been able to make as a human so you so then you make Maybe make the assumption that whatever is knocking back is certainly huge.
1: or well, um, And fine. very close by, perhaps.
3: And close by. Um,
1: Listen, i gotta, I got to run here. we got another time out. We'll come back in, uh, in okay. a few moments and discuss more. Christine Burns is with us, and uh, she is with the Ontario Wildlife Field Research Bigfoot Group, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. And we've got about another 15 minutes uh, with Christine Burns from the Wildlife Field Research Ontario Bigfoot Group. And, uh, Christine, I want to I focus on Ontario and perhaps Algonquin for the, the, for the remainder of the program. Uh, I mentioned earlier about this uh, video. It was taken on a GoPro camera uh, up in Algonquin. by uh, I, I'm not sure if it was, the video was taken by Tim Everick. Um, now, was that June of this year? You know?
3: Um, I know that um, uh, I've seen um, a few written reports of that, but I'm not sure if I've actually seen the the video or which one it is. Um, I believe it was on um, a road, if I'm not mistaken, and they were driving along, and then uh, when they looked at it later, they could see that there was um, uh, a figure standing on the side of the road. Right,
1: that that's, the that's, that's the one. That's the
3: one. The year uh, I'd have to defer to my administrator who would okay. know for sure. <laughs> but as you
1: say, 200 sightings in Algonquin, and, and these are dating back uh, how long? How far do you know?
3: I, I believe they're dating back to when uh, the park was um, the park used to be uh, logged, and there was actually residencies in the park, and then that was changed, I believe, in the 1930s, if I'm mistaken, and, and so it became more of a. Um, uh, a, a park setting, so a lot of the sightings came from uh, uh, back when the park was first um, uh, used for logging.
1: When Tommy I Thompson didn't... was was paddling canoe lake.
3: Yeah, probably.
1: <laughs> mm. And uh, um, it, it... sorry, go I, ahead.
3: I just wanted to get back again to the like you know it's it's um it's a vast um, uh, park uh, between Georgian Bay and. Um, and the the, um, the climate is perfect. As I, I said again, the precipitation is um, fifty millimeters or more, which is have been correlated to um, habitat for sasquatch. Um, if the monthly precipitation uh, is above that, and that can be, um, you can see that on um, uh, if you look at um, the internet. They there. I know that um, I have recent active. Uh, areas in 2002 in Algonquin Park, uh, Cripple Creek. There was a sighting in 2009 at Rain River, River. Sorry, Rain Lake. And in 2010, I believe was the video. Um, um, there was um, no in 2010. There was a cabin on the uh, Algonquin property that had some um, malevolent activity, and I believe the the video that we're talking about now was. On a later uh, date, more frequent, more uh, recent. Um, I think that you can f- uh, find um, most of that information uh, on the Bigfoot Forum if people are interested. I wanted to uh, just mention the Algonquin natives. Um, they acknowledged that there were two types of Bigfoot. The first one was called Genosqua, and it was more prevalent in the east here. And it was um, known by the natives to be cannibalistic. Oh, my. Uh, m- meaning that it was uh, more violent towards men and uh, would abduct them for, um, obviously, um, eating. They they described uh, him as a stone man, and that was due to the very, very strong skin that was on this animal. They would uh, try and... Um, you know, kill this animal, and apparently, uh, its chest would um, it wouldn't um, puncture. So they called him the Stone Man, and that he. They related it that this the behavior of the Janasqua was he hunts at night and kills by ripping the heads or twisting the neck. So often, deer are found with their necks. Twisted
1: right round. Oh, Christine, I almost wish I hadn't <laughs> heard about that. <laughs> and, and, and here then, I was, hoping uh, hope <laughs> against hope that these, are, these, these wonderful wild men of the woods are such peaceful creatures, and then you had to totally disabuse me of that.
3: <laughs> but they were talking about different temperaments, because I know uh, the Pacific uh, area, they, they do talk about that they seem that the nature of Sasquatch out there are more benevolent. Now, we, don't, we aren't finding any uh, Genesqua, um, uh, you know, uh, people being uh, cannibalized or whatever. So whether it was at a, you know, and we're going back to the Algonquin natives, um, feeling that there was different types. But you know what? Um, I think a lot of things when um, with the Sasquatch or Bigfoot, when there's human encroachment, they move on. Um, and so so if this type of Sasquatch exists here and is found to be a little more um, malevolent, and I only say that because we've had um, cabins that have been had rocks thrown at them and, and some trashing, but all those things, when that has happened, there's never <coughs> been any human um, uh, uh, killings or whatever associated with any of that. It's just more of an aggressive behavior to try and remove the human um, contact.
1: So uh, at least two species here in Ontario, I was going to ask you because I'm sure somebody at some point has has sort of compared, contrasted the audio recordings of these, of different uh, Sasquatches from different parts of North America and found you know, profound differences in the calls, perhaps is is that is that uh, something that's been done? Do you know?
3: Yeah, I I believe that. I'm not so sure about the calls. I know that there. Um, my experience is, of course, um, that the calls are similar here as in as out west, but um, there most there seems to be more of a difference in maybe the um, amount of hair. Uh, uh, maybe the, the tracks and the feet are the same size. They're anywhere to 18, 20 inches. The, the, the definite, um, by the depression that the print makes, we know that they're like five, 600 pounds. Um, so there's, there's a great similarity, but around the world, of course, we see the difference in, um, you know, the Yeti, um, the uh, Swamp Ape in Florida, um, there just seems to be an ad- adaptation, I believe, to the environment.
1: I, I was just thinking back to that uh, rather chilling description you mentioned of the the uh, cannibalistic uh, species, uh, or, or um, I don't know what to call them—not a species, but uh, the the, uh, the cannibalistic Bigfoot that the Algonquin Indians described.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, a gentleman who's uh, been on coast to coast a number of times, David Polides, who wrote a book called. Oh, yes. uh, Missing uh, 411 about all these odd disappearances in state parks, and I'm Mm -hmm. wondering. I'm just trying to. I'm connecting the dots where I don't really want to connect the dots. I mean, do you you, you think there may be? I'm asking you to speculate here. A connection between Sasquatch and these these odd disappearances of people in in state parks and maybe even provincial parks.
3: Personally, yes, I believe there is a definite. Um, correlation between um, the areas of sightings for Sasquatch and the areas of uh, disappearance of people in these parks Um, I mean the reality is that um, that David Pallades has definitely done his homework and and there certainly uh, raises questions he never in his books um, to my knowledge ever says that they are uh, related to um, Bigfoot but if you overlay the map um it's um it's quite um impressive
1: well has it does this change the way you you think about this spirit animal i mean all of a sudden now it's a little bit more menacing isn't it
3: yes it is um um i i, I used to go looking for evidence on my own um you know i uh, i i canoed and kayaked and i would go up uh Um, you know little streams and whatever because i felt if i watched the river banks i might see where there's a trail that um you know even uh finding a print and uh because uh, there's there we know that um that um that tomogamy area is quite an active area and so um you know and that's where i i camp uh up in that area um, I've given more thought to it now that you know gone on expeditions and they say never go alone. you most certainly should never go alone and um, and um, areas that are um, that are um, quite vulnerable or hiking alone, especially in a rugged territory where there's rocks and and hills and and um, um, those kind of places that we know that Sasquatch will um, have to um, probably for game. The game um, hides uh, in one area, and when the the elk or whatever come down through, they grab the legs, they break the legs, and, you know, then the animal can't escape.
1: These are formidable hunters.
3: They are. And so uh, whether they see us as food, I don't think so, but, I mean, if you wander into their territory, we don't know when and if there's a mating season, uh, when's it most... um, uh, when would you be most vulnerable to actually, you know, come across um, an, you know, an area that they might be um, nesting or, or um, building uh, their structures? So I have a different thought on it now, but at, uh, at one time I wouldn't have thought anything about going and looking.
1: And, and Why are they? Uh, I'm, you mentioned these structures. I, I, I'd like to just pursue that. Just to, we only have a few minutes left here, but these structures. That, uh, what are we talking about? Nests, temporary shelters?
3: Um, they make um, structures that um, that are almost teepee-like. Um, they're quite. will um, be. Um, there's no reason for, say, the tree to have fallen over. There actually might be actually tree limbs from another. Uh, say like an oak or a birch or, or uh, something that, and they make these structures and they seem to be um, making uh, a place for a habitat, um, and so um, I I look for those kind of things, um, and um, and I actually did find something out west that I took a picture of, but they're they're quite specific. Um, they're also we've. There's evidence of seeing where they take limbs and, and weave them in amongst. So they'll take a, a limb and weave it in amongst other trees. Now, that doesn't occur naturally, and it might be eight feet above the ground. There's also where they've seen a lot of things where they will in uh, uh, make um, twines and, and, and look like they're being artistic. They're making some kind of form. There's also a, a lot of... Um, uh, literature about stick structures that they put on the ground. So, so they definitely are using their environment for habitation. Uh, caves. Um, there's quite a lot of uh, literature about caves and using the use of caves.
1: And any idea uh, how many breeding pairs might be in Algonquin? How, i mean what would be the, the the minimum in order to sustain a population given that there have been two hundred sightings there any idea
3: no i wouldn't i wouldn't i would i I would believe that Algonquin Park would be a stable environment for them they wouldn't be migrating there's lots of um, there's lots of discussion about whether they migrate um, I don't believe that in the, the environment that Algonquin Park would provide um, that there would be any necessary. I mean, there's plenty of game. Um, there's plenty of water, lakes, and isolation. Uh, why, would they, why would they move? But um, I, I, I know there was some discussion when I was out west about what a gestation um, uh, time would be for an animal of that size and um, it certainly would be more than a human gestation of nine months. So, And and how much offspring do they have? Most of um, suggested um, reports or there's a video where they only seem to have one um, child or youth. So again, the answers would be how often do they mate? When do they mate? How long is the gestation period? Those are things we don't know, and and one day maybe we will, we can, we can do estimates, estimate, you know, of, yes. of what it might be.
1: Christine, listen, I really enjoyed our conversation. I'd love to have you back uh, in the future yeah. to talk some more about uh, Sasquatch.
3: And uh, just keep in mind that the Ontario uh, Wildlife Field Research Group, we're going to be planning in the future. Um, as um, I've attended out west, uh, we're going to take people out. Um, to a base camp and do some investigating because there's uh, so much interest in in this now.
1: Absolutely. Got to run. But listen, always a, yeah. a, a real pleasure. Thank you, Christine.
3: All right, then. Thank you.
1: Good night. My thanks Bye. to Tim Spreen for production. Is my little Zachary around. He wandered out of the boardroom. He woke up. Uh, anyway, I thought he might want to say good night. I see his teddy bears over there anyway. Uh, back next week with a brand new show. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark speak in the light, what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the rooftops. Do you wanna say good night, Zachary? Come here, quickly, quickly, quickly.
3: Good night.
1: Good night, sweetheart.